Welcome to the Secret Mystery Club with Mike and Jeremy, which is me. This is going to be fun. Why are we calling it Secret Mystery Club? How did this happen? It's like a secret message or something. It's what it says on the can. And if you look on the back, the ingredients, it just says secrets, mysteries. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so from a young age, I was convinced crystals held some kind of magical power. I was utterly convinced that at some point in my life, the magic of crystals would reveal itself to me. I remember doing a, quote, science project in elementary school about various types of gemstones. Those little crystal Legos, those would power all of my spaceships. Oh, absolutely. The the green one was for weapons and the silver one was for the engine. I mean, that's magic, right? How does that work? Mysteries. And that's what this podcast is all about. Do you by any chance mean magic? Hey, you talk as though you believed all that stuff. We hold quite tightly to old beliefs long after we have learned better. All right, if you want to be cynical about it. And I feel sorry for you and your lack of soul. Now the Bible said that man is spiritual. It seems absurd from the outside, but the people who are into it are really into it. Which is that how it is for all new religious movements? There's like an attraction to getting the hidden secret, the red pill, insider knowledge. Come join our little organization where we have this hidden knowledge to share with you. We have the profound secrets of the universe. If you give us money, you'll be rewarded by the mystery of the universe. So let me tell you about these dank crystals that you can buy on our website. Crystals4u.biz. Secret Mystery Club has a club within a club. It's a concentric secret. As you get into it, there's going to be tinier, more secret mysteries that require more payments. This offer is only for you. Yes, you, listener. Only you. Act now and receive instant enlightenment. If you give us money. Prove it's not true. This mind is constantly attacked. Secret Mystery Club with Mike and Jeremy. You can go back there and pick up some of that dirt and worship that if you want to. That's where the life is. Life is. Life is. Hey, you want some powers? Magical powers for absolutely free. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do you remember that Adventure Time episode? I do. I love that. That's exactly what the magical powers for absolutely free. I feel like we have to do some kind of disclaimer. We are both ordained. That's right. In the Universal Life Church. So we technically are clergy of sorts. You can call us reverends if you want. (laughs) Please don't. We're just two idiots who've recorded a podcast episode. We're both Discordian popes, actually, because everyone is a pope in Discordianism. I'm a officially licensed doctor with a K of the Forbidden Sciences by the Church of the Subgenius. (laughs) I sort of collect bullshit internet ordinations because anyone can be a pastor. Yeah. I really don't think it's that hard. Right. Start a cult. I don't care. (laughs) Take that. Eat that. 
how do we make sense to the listeners what we're trying to do here? Do we want to maybe talk about the imagery of the door and why that seems significant to us? Yeah, let's talk about that mysterious door. Ever since I was a kid, I always loved the idea of portals that lead to someplace mysterious, someplace else. Spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house when I was a kid in the basement area of their house. It wasn't like a typical basement, but there were a couple of doors that we never really went through. One led to like a storage area and one led out to the garage and stuff. They always seemed so mysterious and strange, like leading from this bright, well-lit, furnished area directly into like a cold, dark, mysterious place that we were told never to go. I remember going out into the woods when it was foggy and trying to uh, find that particular like group of trees or whatever to walk between in the fog that would lead me down like a ferry road or someplace that take me someplace else. And so I think that kind of imagery of not only a secret door, but just any kind of path or gateway that leads to somewhere else. That's always just been sort of compelling to me. I loved the idea from like, Chronicles of Narnia, that there's some wardrobe you can just walk through. As a kid, I used to hide in the coat racks and stuff, like in the middle. Yeah. When you're that small, it feels like you're hiding in your own secret private world that's just one tiny step removed and yet feels fundamentally different. And so there is a sense that almost that you could just walk through clothes and wind up somewhere else. Or like if you look into the Christmas tree, you can have this experience of there being a tiny other world like tucked in there. I think if we look through folklore and mythology, we see a lot of different versions of this idea that there's something else that's just out of reach. There's something else that's hiding from you that's like just around the corner or just inside that hill or... If you get lost in the woods, you step through the right stones or something like that. This idea that you can enter other spaces by doing the right things. Yeah. Like Alice in Wonderland, you follow the rabbit into its burrow and you wind up somewhere else. And what that else is, what is it that makes it different than mundane reality? Like the temple in Jerusalem, it had these concentric layers into these increasingly holy and separate and set apart spaces. There was a feature of some ancient Egyptian tombs and temples where it was basically a face high window that you could go up to and look into and you could see into like the like holy of holies like little shrine spot there's like an idol of a deity or an altar to a pharaoh or something and it's not accessible in any way it's just you can view it from this little opening that like sort of presents itself to you so it, it can be like a door it can be a path or it can just be a window that allows you a glimpse the Ark of the Covenant. It's like a box that you can't open, right? In Indiana Jones, if you open them up, they're full of angels that melt your face off. I mean, that's one interpretation of it. Yeah. I don't tend to think that there's some presence of God in the box that would be there if you didn't believe that there was God in the box. And you didn't put these ornate sculptures on top of it, and you didn't parade it around, and you didn't build your culture around centering this thing as holy. I think something about doing that makes it holy. Something about taking a box and putting a bunch of question marks on it 
like in Super Mario, and saying you can't open it makes the inside of that box different. You can pass a bunch of boxes that are labeled vegetable broth and not give it a second thought. But if you see a box with a bunch of question marks on it, your mind instantly, what is inside of that box? And suddenly that box may contain everything. It's like the heart of any J.J. Abrams story. It's really hard to deliver on that, to open up the box and have whatever is in there be meaningful. You're right. It is like a J.J. Abrams story. There's something about keeping that box closed. Like if you open the box, it lets the god out. Like in His Dark Materials, spoiler alert, in Amber Spyglass, yeah. they find God in a box. He has like a little crystal or glass box and you can see him inside. Yeah. So they open it and he just drifts out and God's not in the box anymore. What is it about a box being full of mystery? What is that mystery? I think it goes beyond just a curiosity about what's in it. If you see like a golden ornate box with like a little lock on it and inscriptions and a strange language, there's this wonder associated with it and it sort of changes how you feel in relation to it in a way that I think is a little more sublime than just wanting to know what's in there. Would you get the same effect if it was a plain looking container, but you were told that's got something special in it? I think you can arouse curiosity by saying, don't look in that box, there's something special in it. Or like, you know, you have your hands together and they're sort of cupped in this way and you can't see what's in you. You go around saying, oh, what's in my hand? I think you can arouse curiosity that way. But if you're bringing a certain performance to it and you're really playing up what's in your hands, I think that changes how people perceive that mystery, that space in there. Like it elevates it. I think there's something important about the signifiers. Yeah, there has to be some kind of like ritual associated with it. Adorning something with these symbols is a form of ritual. To go back to the Ark of the Covenant, like it could easily have been, you know, a burlap sack that they just threw a jar of manna and a broken staff or whatever was supposed to be in there. But they went to the trouble of creating this ornate casket to carry it around in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you feel different in some grand cathedral than like a plain, chaste Protestant building, you know? Oh, yeah, we're having our Bible study at the Starbucks. It feels a lot different Yeah. than, you know, going into the sanctuary of a huge old church. It does. And so if you're trying to trigger some experience, I think it's a lot easier to do that in a giant ornate cathedral than it is in a Starbucks. It doesn't mean you can't feel God or whatever in a Starbucks, but, you know, it might be a little harder to get yourself in that headspace. Right. And a less ostentatiously ornate intentional space than a cathedral, a Shinto shrine can have just as much of an effect or the sense that you've passed into that sacred space as one of those massive Hindu temples engraved and carved with thousands of gods and spirits and stuff all over the outside. You can have the same experience of like a little shrine in the woods. It doesn't have to be a certain decoration or finery as long as ritualistic intention went into creating that space. Yeah, a circle of stones can produce the same effect. Or like Zen gets off on being very simple and minimal. You can feel 
intuitively the intention that's being brought into it. This is not an argument for funding the Vatican. Creating a space with intention is what this might come down to. To go back to my story of when I was a kid, my grandparents had trees and stuff on their property. And when it would get foggy, I would go out and walk around in the trees looking for that space to pass through. Going out there intentionally under those conditions to do this thing, that's the same intention going into that experience, getting into that headspace for a specific intention. That's the sort of frame of mind that I want to intentionally get into with this podcast. We're not building a cathedral or a shrine or anything, but we are crafting a space for this specific purpose of discussing these things in, in an intentional way. Yeah. The portal into another space or container for something else, you're triggering a sense that the normal rules, the normal functioning of mundane reality is different or suspended, or there's a different set of rules. Yeah. Looking at different spiritual practices or religions, different cultures, there's this almost universal trope of the differentiation between the sacred and the profane. And it's not that the profane is bad and the sacred is good. It's that there's a distinguishing between the two of them and assigning each of them to their place. And then there's things that the sacred requires in order to step into it. Yeah. If the sacred is a place where the normal rules don't apply, there are places in physical reality where the normal rules seem to be suspended or altered. There are singularities, and one of those is the very beginning of the universe. The very beginning of the universe was this super small, super condensed singularity where the normal rules don't apply. And then the mystery of the universe happened, expansion happened, differentiation happened. But what we came from and were a part of the unfolding of in our best scientific understanding of the universe is a vast cosmic mystery, a singularity where the normal rules don't apply. I feel very justified in saying, like, there is mystery around every corner if you look into something enough, whether that's a crystal ball that you're gazing into until your mind starts putting dream forms or the power of suggestion fills that with images or something like that. Or if you spend a lot of time looking at a blade of grass, it's going to open up for you into a mystery of vastness. And I think that's rewarding. And I think that's something that is really easy to lose out on in the kind of way of life that we're living in, in this industrial, consumer capitalist, frenzied, frenetic type of civilization that we're living in. Yeah, something that we're constantly told is that things have specific uses or a specific purpose. But a blade of grass is just a blade of grass. It doesn't really need to serve a purpose other than existing as what it is. And if you take the time to appreciate something purely on its own merits, you start to see the system that we live in, that we've created for ourselves of everything has to serve a purpose and work toward an end. Well, what is that end? No one can really say. It's a distraction. Looking at everything as a method of fulfilling your own desire or your own agenda I can look at a chair and I can see a chair, which is a concept that in my head is connected with its utility value for sitting in. Or if you're like a woodworker or whatever the word is for someone who makes chairs, I'm sure there is one. 
you look at a chair, you see something completely different. You see its construction. You see how it supports weight, the type of wood that it is, why that wood was chosen, whether that's just it was the cheapest or maybe it was really sturdy or maybe it has an aesthetic value. The more you learn about chairs and what this chair is made out of, the more it opens up for you beyond just it feels comfy on my tushy. Right. It can become this elevated, almost sublime thing if you're willing to put that attention into it. I feel like the first time I was really made aware of that sort of mode of thinking was some Buddhist text talking about being aware of the food that you're eating and what it is, where it came from, what went into producing it and having it end up on your plate. You become aware of how everything is a bit more interconnected than it seems on the surface rather than just, yeah, I bought a bag of oranges for $3 and I ate one. An orange is a good taste I can have that I got from the supermarket versus an orange is this thing botanically that comes from this tree, from this part of the world that exists in this kind of fruit cultivation economy. I'm sure if you looked at an orange long enough and dug into an orange long enough, you can connect that orange with the whole world. Reminds me of one of the interesting secular rituals that I came across was bringing gratitude for how that food got to your table as this like pre-meal ritual that you would do collectively, where you spend a moment thinking about and generating gratitude toward like the farmers that cultivated it or, you know, whatever insects had to pollinate the plants. So I think that's an interesting way of doing that. Yeah, I can kind of hear people asking like it's all well and good but what's the point like congratulations you realize your orange didn't magically appear on your kitchen counter but i think the value comes from allowing that way of thinking to permeate the way you think about the rest of your life and the world itself like sort of shifting your focus or your mindset about everything to be a bit more the word introspective, even though it literally talks about like thinking about yourself, it seems appropriate because in thinking about how these things are connected to everything, it's like realizing that you are also connected to everything around you in some way. That's the value. Like it allows you to see things more clearly for what they are and maybe also see yourself in a new way and the other people around you in a new way. It's become almost like a cliched marketing term now, but awareness. Yeah. There's a difference between being able to bring your awareness to the orange that you're eating and just thinking of it as this concept orange. There's sort of a way that we cover up direct experience with just concepts. Our internal picture of reality seems to get disconnected once we put a label on it and sort of forget about it as something that we can be aware of. And so I think it's really easy to get really enchanted with language in your day-to-day -day life. If you walk the same couple blocks from your home to your work every day, if you're just thinking about it as that concept like bed, computer, and then the path between the two in this abstracted way, you're not seeing what is actually different every single time about that experience. Or if you're just thinking, I'm walking, you could be missing out upon what is different and unique and distinct about every single step. Like, I think there's a reason that one of the Buddha's sermons that he gave 
was him just looking at a flower in front of everyone. I feel like our way of living has become so narrow and stereotyped that spirituality and religion has begun to encompass just the pursuit of meaning, connecting with other people, community, all of these needs that aren't just basic human accumulation. We've internalized a set of values in our culture right now where we have to justify everything according to, is it going to make us money? Is it going to put food on the table? There must be something more to life beyond just work to get money, to buy food, to stay alive, to work, to make money. Yeah. If you really have to focus on putting food on the table, then by all means. But once your basic needs are met, I think everyone's kind of struggling with how do I live the good life? How do I be fulfilled? How do I respond to this nagging sense that there's something wrong in my life or with me? There's got to be something more out there. There's got to be some mystery hiding somewhere that I can find or this thing I can get that can transform my experience of reality because there's something fundamentally displeasing or uncomfortable about just being here right now. I don't think it's worth just shutting down around that and being like, well, those are just unanswerable questions. Let's just focus on accumulation and getting cool stuff. That begins to feel extremely meaningless for people. There's something about that working in an office all day kind of thing that is part, I think, of our cultural mythology. Like, there's a reason that in The Matrix, Neo is working for a computer company in a cubicle under fluorescent lights, staring into a screen all day, moving pixels. I've had jobs that were like that. (laughs) I think there's a huge need for meaning beyond that. So I, I think there's a lot to be gained by saying, like, well, what is this? What are these experiences that I'm having? What does feel fundamentally wrong? What is the way of having the good life or existing in a mutually beneficial way with other people or being happier? Meaning or joy or contentment, a sense of okayness, the pursuit of okayness, relating with other people. And I think all of these questions are connected with something we can call spirituality. I also feel like beyond this sense that like, oh, this isn't working, there must be something more. For me, there's always been this suspicion that there is something fundamentally stranger going on. The deeper down we go into trying to figure out how the world around us works, the more we find there is, the more questions there are, and the more counterintuitive it seems to be. Anything I've done to inquire into how to orient myself in an existential or cosmic sense, I've just felt like the territory has opened up before me. It's just gotten more expansive and vast and interesting. There's a mystery there, right? Keep pursuing that mystery. I think it's kind of dishonest to say, like, there's a mystery, therefore we can use this to justify anything. Like, if you're looking at quantum physics, I don't understand quantum physics. I also don't think it's really helpful to use the mystery of quantum physics to hand wave Deepak Chopra stuff and say, like, oh, well, therefore this is how magic works, or this is what angels are. I think that betrays the mystery. Deepak Chopra, like, there is a mystery, therefore we can justify anything. 
it's like a spiritual dunning kruger effect like we don't know what we're doing therefore we can do whatever we want yeah you don't just get a pass to believe whatever you want to believe and expect other people to not think critically about that or the fundamentalist part where you have to believe a certain thing and you can't question it and you can't hold it up to the light of awareness. You can't hold it up to science, to testing, to thinking about. That, I think, is dangerous. Which isn't to say that people aren't allowed to have opinions. Like, obviously, everybody can feel it or think whatever they want about something. You can absolutely believe what you want, but other people are then also allowed to have opinions on the claim you've made. Yeah. I mean, we can respect each other's differences of opinion. As long as those opinions aren't leading to people getting hurt. If you're going to like write legislation around something that you believe just because you believe it, we can't say like, I don't believe that global warming or climate change is happening because show me the proof and then plug our ears and not actually look for any evidence or evaluate (laughs) any of that material and say that like, well, that person's beliefs are on equal weight with scientists that spend their lives testing this and have a mountain of evidence. Like, No, those things aren't the same. I think people have a responsibility to look deeper and think critically. And if that flies in the face of a belief that you hold, you can re-examine your beliefs. I mean, it's easier said than done, but we've done it. Exploring the things that we explore over the course of this, who knows, maybe some beliefs or preconceptions that we hold will have to change or will end up changing. It's something to be open to. There's also like a distinction to be made there between what you can experience subjectively And what you can claim is going to be true for another person in the same way that I can trust that when I sit on this chair, I'm not going to fall through it kind of thing. You can experience a lot of wacky stuff. You can experience a lot of wacky stuff naturally. You don't have to drop acid if you want to see angels or something like that or feel a profound altered states of consciousness. There's lots of practices, there's lots of visualizations and experiences that you can trigger if that's what you're really into. And maybe you can manipulate your subjective experiences of the world intentionally to produce a certain effect. That might be useful to some degree, but we have to apply skepticism. We have to bring our rational minds along with us. That doesn't mean that rational minds are the be-all, end-all. But it does mean they got to be invited to the table, too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a common trope that like science and religion or science and magic are incompatible. They're opposites, but I feel like they're sort of complementary. I talk about science as if it's like an entity or an institution. It's not. Science is not a religion, everybody. Science is a method. Science is a, a way of thinking. If something is looked at in this way and that is called scientific, then maybe there's another way of viewing it that could be considered like a spiritual or religious way of looking at that same concept. Right. How can I find meaning in it? The approach is different. Anyone listen in, bring an open mind. Whatever your belief is, it's an interpretation Maybe it's not such a good idea to be married to a particular interpretation of the truth. Be open to saying, I don't know. Because I think in the don't know, in the mystery, in the confusion of it all, is where the real juice is. And that's what I'm interested in. 
podcast over. Like we fi- we figured it out. We did it. Those have been our secrets. You are now an insider. Welcome to the Secret Mystery Club. Don't tell. Should it be like reverse psychology and we tell people like, <laughs> shh, it's secret. Like those curses on grimoires where if you share the secrets of this document, then your nipples will turn into oysters. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know. Do we want to be more of the tongue in cheek or do we actually want an audience? I mean, if you're chill, then come hang out with us and tell other chill people. But if you suck, then you're not in the club. Yeah. Bye. Later. <laughs> Do we really want to end on an antagonistic note? <laughs>「Next time on Secret Mystery Club」Welcome to the gateway guys There's a lot of weird shit on TikTok So I googled it There's the document hosted on CIA.gov It's definitely the trippiest declassified CIA document The universe is holographic Space time has like a torus shape You can leave your sense of being embodied and make contact with the absolute I feel like I'm floating in some like vast empty space. I don't even know how to describe how it came on, but it either felt like I was spinning really fast or something was like swirling around me. There's a lot of weird shit your brain can do. Page 11 shows a person surrounded by a swirling energy that looks exactly like what I was experiencing. And then I got like some scary demonic entity crawling up the bed toward me. What's going on here sits uncomfortably with consensus reality. Music this episode has been Dreamscape by Density and Time, Cosmic Charms by the New Mystical Troubadours, and Glorious Intro by Nomadic XXL, audio sampled from Carnival of Souls, 1962, Conrad Morrell Sermons, and Chandu the Magician, links, licensing, and other details in the show notes. Visit SecretMysteryPod.com for more Secret Mysteries. Thank you for listening. Until next time keep it spooky initiates.